Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Your boy's back at it. Took a little bit of a break, but we're back. Episode 110 for the love of the game. Let's work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yo, get it twisted. This rush is mine. Mother start of game. What you heard is what you hearing. It's what you hearing. Listen. It's what you hearing. Listen. It's what you hearing. Listen. X gon' give it to you. Wait for you to get it on your own. X gon' deliver to you. Knock, knock. Open up the door. It's real. If the non-stop pop out, I'm staying still. Go hard getting busy with it. But I got such a good heart that I make the mother uh, wonder if you did it. Damn right, and I do it again. Cause yeah. I am right, so I got to win. Break bread with the enemy. No matter how many cats I break bread with, I break who you sending me. You motherfucker never wanna know what your life saved. That's on a light day, I'm getting down. Like it said, freeze. But won't be the one ending up on his knees. Please, if the only thing you can't steal was came out to play, stay out my Welcome way. back, welcome back. Welcome back, big time welcome back after a couple of days off, episode 110 for the love of the game, it's your man's ATH back behind the mic, back in the lab, took some time off, was in Florida for Passover, it's time to shake off that rust, so how do I do that? I go back to my roots, New York roots, this is going to be an all New York sports episode, we're talking Knicks, we're talking Yankees baseball, we're talking Mets baseball, and no, I do not include the Brooklyn Nets in a New York episode because no one in this city cares about the Brooklyn Nets. As you could probably figure out whose today's uh, opening song would be, we had to hit you with a little DMX because tragically Dark Man X died way too uh, prematurely, had some problems, died of an overdose. Rest in peace to Dark Man X. But here we go. A little housekeeping and a couple of mini rants about things I hate uh, coming up in this monologue. Nothing like a good healthy dose of sports hate to get me back in the groove. And yes, I'm aware that the NBA playoffs are coming soon. Next week will be a, an NBA heavy week with uh, maybe one or two shows all uh, dedicated to the NBA playoffs, the stretch run. So stay tuned for that. But for now, here we go. Congrats to the Baylor Bears, men's basketball team on winning the national title. They beat Gonzaga soundly in the title game. And it was quite a beatdown of previously unbeaten Gonzaga. A shocking result, if we're being honest. And I think we all expected a classic like we got in the previous game between Gonzaga and UCLA, which was legitimately one of the best college basketball games of all time, one of the best college games I've ever seen. But anyway, a very impressive showing by Baylor, who will have two first-round picks in this upcoming NBA draft, and Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler. So congrats to them. Congrats to the Stanford women basketball team on their national title attorney win. Congrats to Hideki Matsuyama on winning the Masters this year. The first Japanese man to ever win the Masters, which is a big deal considering Matsuyama's carrying basically the entire weight of a country on his back. So big ups to him. Congrats to him. Much like the women's NCAA tournament, I watched zero of this year's Masters, so I really don't have a whole lot to say about it. New York hockey. I know I haven't spoken any hockey this year so far, but a quick update on what's going on with the Rangers and the Islanders. And again, no one cares about the Devils. The Islanders are tied atop the Eastern Division. Uh, They are a beast of a team and should be a major threat to win this year's Cup. 
They currently have the seventh best odds, according to Vegas, at 14 to 1 to win the cup. Not a bad long-term bet if you're looking for uh, some value there. As for the Rangers, after a slow start, they're playing some really good hockey. Now they need some major help to sneak into the playoffs. But the future is bright in Rangers land. And the hometown kid, big shout out to him, Adam Fox, has already become one of the game's best defensemen. So the Rangers have hope a little bit for this year and a whole lot for the future. So we should see how the rest of the season unfolds for them. But the Rangers may have found the second coming of Brian Leach in Adam Fox. All right, so now for things that I hate. This might be a recurring segment. It may not be a recurring segment, but I'm breaking it out this episode for episode 110. So here are three things that I currently really hate. Number one, Mark Jackson calling games for ESPN, especially if he's not part of the trio with Jeff Van Gundy. He is the worst. He says nothing insightful ever. Nothing ever, he says, is any bit insightful. There's no deep analysis with him. And he sounds like a preacher. Absolutely puke city when he's on the call. One moment this past week summed it up. It was Lakers and Nets game. I forget who it was. Someone on the Lakers may have been Wes Matthews Jr., who was super hot from three at the time. Uh, I mean, scorching hot. Don't fact check me on who it was because it really doesn't matter for the sake of this round. But anyway, so yeah, said Lakers guard after hitting a bunch of threes in the second quarter, rises up from 28 feet out with a hand in his face, good contest, and what do you know, bottoms. The shot goes in. And Mark Jackson says, quote, can't let him rise up like that. I mean, this isn't Steph Curry. You'll live with Wes Matthews or whoever the shooting guard was shooting that shot with a hand in his face. But of course, you just, you can't let him rise up. Oh, okay, Mark Jackson. If you would have driven by him, Jackson would have said, can't let him drive by him like that because all he does is play the result without any nuance. Even better, Mark Jackson played dog shit defense his entire NBA career. He's the worst. And in a world with so many bad color commentators and so many bad play-by-play guys that call games, Mark Jackson is the worst of them all. If he's by himself on the telecast, it gets the mute treatment. I can't stand Mark Jackson on the call, hate Mark Jackson, hate everything about his vibe. So that's number one. Number two, resident NBA asshole of the day, contestant Kyrie Irving. Well, he was taking another personal day. Well, the game in Minnesota ended up getting postponed, but that's for another topic, uh, for another show. That's not the point. Like, at what point did the Nets say enough, enough? Like, at what point do the Nets say enough is enough with this shit? Like, enough already, man. You're paid to play basketball. And it's not like something super serious happened with his family or any type of emergency, because if it did, it would have gotten out. And then people will say, oh, mental health. He's going through some things. Mental health is a serious issue. You know, guys dealing with the pandemic and going through a lot. Oh, shut the hell up. All right. Can it be? Is it not possible that Kyrie Irving is just a selfish asshole who lacks professionalism? even though he's super talented, is is that not the case? And why doesn't Kyrie get the benefit of the doubt? Oh, because he's had a littered history of acting like an unprofessional jackass. That's why he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. And those who chalk it up to mental health diminish the severity of real people who are struggling with mental health issues. 
It just seems that Kyrie Irving is just an asshole. So that's number two. And number three, the last thing I hate for tonight's segment, the New York Mets, especially when Jacob deGrom pitches. Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in baseball by a good margin. Since 2018, the Mets are 36 and 42 in games that Jacob deGrom starts. Six games under 500. And what is deGrom's ERA since 2018? 2.08. I mean, that is outrageous. Absolutely outrageously terrible. The Mets bullpen since 2018 have blown 31 potential wins for deGrom. 31. The Mets don't deserve Jacob deGrom. It's an outrage. It's a sports outrage. I'm a Yankee fan, and I am super angry for Jacob deGrom because greatness should be appreciated, realized, and capitalized on. And this is a giant waste of greatness. A waste of greatness of epic proportions. Jacob deGrom right now is on the level of Pedro Martinez circa 99 to 2001. He just went in his last start, eight innings, 14 strikeouts, gave up one solo home run, and lost. I mean, if I'm Jacob deGrom, I take a bat to Familia and start beating him with it. And then I go to Edwin Diaz and do the same. And then I make my way through the entire clubhouse. And then I walk into the owner's office and the general manager's office, and I demand a trade. I mean, seriously, this is embarrassing. And the fact that Pete Alonso or any team leader hasn't publicly apologized to Jacob DeGrom for doing him absolutely no service is an outrage. I, hear, I heard those stats the other day, and my jaw hit the floor. DeGrom deserves so much better from the Mets. Unbelievable. You would think that new ownership would change the juju of the Mets, but it seems like he got the same old Mets. And it's not like the Mets don't score runs. They just don't score runs for Jacob DeGrom. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Anyway, so that felt great. I'm back. The rust is gone, and I'm back. So now it's time to bring on a few guests to talk Yankees, some Mets, and some Knicks. we got a packed show to get to, so let's get into our first segment in just a moment. Okay, so I am have on a guest tonight. Uh, I know I've neglected baseball because of the schedule. There was Passover. There was, and I was very deep into NCAA tournament. I was very deep into the NBA, but now we're talking a little baseball, a little Yankees baseball with a recurring guest, Mr. Andrew Sender. Andrew, what's going on, bud? How you doing? What's going on? I'm doing good. Awesome. Awesome. So first of all, I want to give you and your dad a big shout out. So I haven't done a podcast in a while, so I'm shaking off some rust. And your dad also helped me shake off some rust with my tennis game this weekend which was very, very nice of him considering he whooped me pretty good. And for all those who are thinking, oh, some old man is beating up on a younger guy, Jeff Sender plays about five times a week and played college tennis and still has ridiculous touch. And I was super rusty and he, uh, he gave it to me pretty good. But thank you so much uh, to Jeff for helping me take off some rust. And thank you for uh, giving me some time to talk a little Yankees baseball, shaking off my, my podcast rust, hopefully. Uh, but I'm a natural, so it's never going to sound rusty. So unlike my tennis game, I'm way more of a natural here. All right. So we got Yankees baseball as they're about to have first pitch tonight with Garrett Cole on the mound. So let's start to take it back before the season started. 
So they're, uh, according to Las Vegas, their season win total over under was 95 and a half. They had the second best World Series odds before the season started. Now, were you buying that uh, before the season started? Were you as bullish on them as Las Vegas was, given the current constraints of the roster and what the roster looked like? So the total wins, I was buying it, and I did think they can definitely get over it. I think they can probably get around 98, 99 wins, and even now at the current state. But um, the thing I never really bought was the World Series odds. I kind of always felt that this team is not really ready, especially this year. I think there's a lot of weak spots within the, the roster. So I didn't think that they can make a World Series run, even though I'd like them to. But I did buy the total wins because they play in a pretty weak division. So I think a lot of what it had to do with uh, is the fact that the American League is generally down, that the uh, National League is stronger than the American League. And it's just going to be more of a gauntlet for a team like the Dodgers or like the Braves or um, or the Padres because they're just going to beat each other up. So they, they can't have the, the World Series odds that if the American League is weaker and they think the Yankees are could be the class of the American League because all the other contenders got worse. I mean, the Astros got worse. The Rays, well, we'll get to them in a second. On paper, they got worse, even though uh, it doesn't seem to be the case when the Yankees go to Tampa. So, yeah, I think that's the reason for, for the number. Uh, I am also bullish on the over, or at least I was. Now you can't really bet it. But the World Series odds, I mean, I don't know. We're going to have to see. But that was before the season started. Right now they're nine games in going into tonight. And they still can't win games in Tampa. It doesn't matter who's on the roster for Tampa. The Yankees go to Tampa and they lose. They lost the first two games of the series. And had they lost, in excruciating fashion on Sunday, the tenor of this conversation would be a little bit different and we'd be a lot more frustrated. So given all those things on a scale of one to 10, nine games in, how frustrated are you with this team? And how concerned are you with this start? So frustrated wise, just because of this, the series they just came off, probably say I'm like an eight out of 10. I guess solid number, but I'm not really concerned about long-term because especially with the last four seasons or three seasons, I should say, but if you take away 2020, which was a weird year for everyone, and you go back to 2019 and 2018, two years where they both had over a hundred wins, both of those years, they started off six and seven, five and six. They didn't have good starts because they're not, a really good team in the cold. And we've seen that in October. So I think once the weather starts to heat up a little bit and they start to get their blood pumping a little bit, I think they'll be back. And I think they'll put up another hundred game, a hundred uh, win season. Once again, here's what I'll say in terms of the frustration and I'll put it at an eight and uh, concern will be a six and a half because of, of what the expectations are. Right. So, Obviously, the fact that they can't win in Tampa Bay seems in year in and year out is exceedingly frustrating, especially the fact that they play Tampa Bay a whole lot of times. All right. It seems to be a problem. And, and the fact that Tampa, which you know doesn't spend as much money as the Yankees do and seems to be the class of the division now in terms of smarts. Right. And what frustrates me the most is that the Yankees, whether it's Aaron Boone, 
whether it's Garrett Cole. They've been doing a lot of talking about how they're better than the Rays. Well, they're not better than the Rays right now until you prove that you're better than the Rays, okay? So, and again, they salvaged the, the last game of that series. You take that when you go on, you try and uh, beat the Blue Jays uh, in this upcoming series. But what frustrates me the most and why I think there should be concern is just the long-term view of this team, right? It's, and we've said this before, we said this last year when we spoke about the Yankees, is, is this team built to win a World Series, right? Is the roster constructed to win a World Series? And the more and more you think about it, and yeah, they're going to look good in June, July, and August. They're going to have stretches where they tear the cover off the ball. But does that style of play win in the postseason? And I'm not sure that this team is fully capable of making a super, super deep run. Unlike the, so unlike the Dodgers, right? So like the Dodgers were before last year were knocking on the door constantly. And they finally, they finally broke down the door, kicked down the door, got to the world series and won the world series. Are the Yankees able to do what the Dodgers did? And I just have my doubt. So with that said, the, the concern isn't necessarily with the start so much. So if I had to give it a number with the start, I would say a three. Throughout the year, I would say about a six and a half. So we'll see. That, that's, that's where I'm at. But not winning in Tampa is getting exceedingly annoying. It really is. So let me ask you this. As a Yankee fan, Randy Rosarine, all right, is this guy going to be the new Manny Ramirez? Or David Ortiz, the guy that the Yankees, every time he comes up, it seems like they never get him out, and that I'm going to have to hate this guy for the next seven, eight years, because I really think we're heading down that territory with Randy Rosarena. So, with Rosarena, I mean, it's clear that his stats against the Yankees are really, really good, and he proved that over the weekend, but I, I think it won't be like that, like Manny, because I, I just don't think a Rosarena... I, there's weak spots in his swing. And I think the Yankees have failed to expose it. Don't give him low pitches, pitch him up high and don't throw it down the middle. They've thrown a ton of pitches right down the pipe for him to just crush and he'll eat those pitches. He's a fantastic hitter, but I think they're just not doing a great job. I think they're not taking him seriously enough yet. And I think they'll end up learning that as he continues to just smash against them. Well, didn't they watch last season's postseason? Like, why aren't they taking him seriously? I, I I don't know. I think also you can look back at last season's postseason and see Giancarlo Stanton was the best hitter on the Yankees. And that has not translated to this year. So I, I'm not sure. I think they should watch more film about Rosarena. I think they should attack him higher in the zone and don't really give him something to look at. If you walk him, you walk him. That lineup is not as good as we think we just pitch to them. Like we think it's amazing. And it's, I think it's just in the Yankees heads. Yeah. I I'm, I'm tired of him beating us. Right. And I know Tampa has guys up and down the lineup and their lineup is greater than the sum of the individual parts, because that's what smart organizations do somehow. And they play a brand of baseball that I know may not be super analytics friendly in terms of, you know, swing for the fences because the analytics love, guys who just hit homers, but 
they just I just don't want him to beat us constantly. Just someone else do it. And you pick your poison sometimes. And I, I just rather a Rose Arena not be the guy game in and game out when they play the Rays that's going to be putting up the monster numbers. So we spoke about it a little bit earlier. I should say alluded to a little bit earlier. The Yankees roster so far and a couple of issues. Here are the issues that I see so far. And you can rank them in terms of importance. We've got Glaver Torres' defense at shortstop. We've got starting pitching behind Garrett Cole. We have the unbalanced lineup with a lot of right-handed hitters hitting for the fence. We have Giancarlo Stanton. We have Judge's health. And we have DJ LeMahieu hitting in big spots because he's been pretty bad hitting in big spots so far this year. Which of those issues is the biggest issue to you? in terms of long-term issues? Well, I would say the long-term would most likely be Judge's health, and I'd even add Stanton's health. The, a, a really important piece of this team is for those two guys to be healthy. They're leaders in the clubhouse, and when they're healthy, we see what Judge can do, and we see what Stanton can do. They're such good ball players, and they need to stay on the field. And I think Judge has even said, he said, I'm not going to make those diving plays to get myself hurt. I'm thinking about the postseason. I'm thinking about the long-term season, which I think is great. But if I had to put stuff after that, I would say Torres's defense is huge, especially with all these great shortstops coming off on free agency this year. He's really got to prove something or else the Yankees might just sell on him and move him to second. And maybe they even sell on, on Gio Urshela or Luke Voigt. There's a lot of things that Torres needs to fix on his defense, but I think you should really start thinking about his own job at stake because Trevor Story, a lot of uh, Carlos Correa, a lot of good shortstops are coming off as free agents this year. So the Yankees might make a move. I think the starting pitching is not as big as of a problem as people think because a lot of these guys that they have, they're hit or miss guys. You have Herman, Kluber, Tyone. Montgomery, I won't put in. We know he's a solid pitcher, good end of the rotation guy. But between the other three, there are guys that have not pitched in years or a season. It's been a long time. You got to give them a couple starts. You can see Kluber and Tyone. They still have their stuff. And even Herman, they make little mistakes here and there, but the stuff is there. And I think they'll figure it out. And I don't think this is the biggest issue for the Yankees, the, the pitching. I think if it's mediocre you give up three runs over six innings this lineup should be able to win with three runs in six innings and when it comes to dj hitting in big spots i disagree with you i think he's unbelievable i think he's had a rough start but even he even though he has a rough start he's still hitting over 300 so he'll figure it out he's been our best hitter for the last two seasons he's always been good in runners in scoring position but oh, he'll figure it out this past, year except for this past weekend where he yes. rolled into two double plays <laughs> Uh, especially on Sunday that we didn't enjoy that very much, no. but yeah, I would rank his issue last um, before I, I go into my, my biggest issues in terms of order. You mentioned the starting pitching. So who's going to, who do you think is going to take that number two spot after Garrett Cole? Because aside for the guy who pitches across the street in, uh, in Flushing, who can't buy a win because his team lets him down so much. And I've already ranted about that in the monologue, but Garrett Cole may be the second best pitcher in all of baseball. But so who is going to take that number two spot after Garrett Cole? Because that's an important spot when it comes to a playoff series. 
So I think it's really going to depend on how the Yankees finish the season. I think if it comes to a wild card scenario, I think obviously you have Cole pitching the first game, no matter what, but I think if they're in a wild card game and they win, and now they're moving on to the ALDS, I think what changes there is normally I'd say Kluber be number two, but almost putting Montgomery out there to try to fool them. Cause you're, no one's really going to stand out out of these four guys. I just don't see it. And I think if he can try to mess with another team's head, like what Tampa does to the Yankees every year, they just mess with us. They throw out guys who'd be like, whoa, why is he starting? I think if he did that with Montgomery, I think it'd be pretty interesting. And also Montgomery has pitched well or well enough, in my opinion, versus Herman. Really, we have not seen him ever in the postseason. And Kluber, his pass is great, but it's just not, I don't know if I would trust him in the pinstripes yet. And Tyone is, you know, he's a real wild card. We just don't know. So that's well, Kluber, Kluber based on, on, um, on his resume has the greatest upside, right? It, it's just a matter of, is that, is he dumb? Like, is he toast? And I, I thought that contract, was a fine contract in terms of making a bet on a guy who's, you know, won multiple Cy Youngs and maybe they can uh, sprinkle a little magic on him. I, I and what's with the, what's with the Luis Severino? When does he do that? So I forget when he's supposed to be back. I, it's somewhere in the middle of the season. It might be July, it might be August, but to be honest, I, I really wouldn't even think Down about Yeah. Cause he's just had so many problems and he just can't stay on the mound. And I think it's better to focus on maybe bring up Davey Garcia when Clark Schmidt gets healthy, healthy, bring him up and let's try to find something here with one of these guys, because you have so many 50, 50 pitchers. And if two of them work out out of the five or six of them that they have, that's fine. Cause you only need three good pitchers in the postseason, and that can win you a series. So, yeah, I, so back to the, the issue so far. So, DJ hitting in big spots is at the bottom of that list. Uh, second to last, I would actually say the starting pitching. I would agree with you. Uh, third to last, I would say um, Giancarlo Stanton. Um, only because he's part of a bigger issue with the unbalanced lineup. I've too many guys swinging for the fences, right-handed hitters. Uh, second, I would say the starting pitching. And um, – no, I would excuse me. I would say Torres' defense at short. It, it's a problem. It's a, it's a big problem. And I mean, where were you on Torres before the season started? Anyway, he he started out. You know, it was it was great to get him in the trade for the for Andrew Miller. You know, he made two All Star teams. He had uh, he had um, you know all the promise in the world. People were comparing him to Roberto Alomar, but. He's leaving me very cold right now. So, and his defense is short, is atrocious. And it just, it, it seems to me that there's no reason that you should lose games for bad defensive, uh, for bad defensive shortstop because they had a guy in Didi Gregorius, who, by the way, hit left handed to break up the lefty righty thing. Um, that, that could have been the solution. So, where are you at with Torres now? Because I would try and flip him as much as possible. So with Torres, I, I really like him. I, I think he's a really fantastic hitter, but I think part of his issue is that he's getting over his head a little bit too much. He's trying to be the hero of this team when 
He doesn't need to. And I don't think anyone needs to. I think if everyone just focused on their smaller roles, I think this team could be amazing. And we've seen that before, but it's never really been a consistent case over a full season or throughout a full postseason. But when it comes to his defense, I think what is really important is he needs to focus on the routine ones. No one expecting him to make these sprawling plays like you see Javi Baez doing. No one's expecting that. All we ask as fans is to make the routine ones. There's no excuse for throwing a ball and a routine ground ball in the dirt, 10 feet in front of the bag. That's just unacceptable. But as long as he can make the routine ones, I think it's not an issue because the sprawling plays are normally 50-50 plays. So if he makes one out of five, that's fine. No one's going to bother him. And Judge's health was probably the number one because all the numbers show, and, and I don't necessarily love analytics as much as everybody else, but all the numbers show when Judge plays, the Yankees are really good, and he just needs to stay on the field. Um, so the, the trade market's going to be a little bit of in, uh, you know, could be up in the air. You never know what kind of moves they're going to make. But given this roster, uh, what are some of the adjustments that Aaron Boone should make on a day-in and day-out basis? Because to me, there's one major, major adjustment that needs to be made. When it comes to the everyday lineup, I think I think we need to stop. I think Aaron Boone really needs to stop playing guys who you don't really trust, but you got to put them out there because this guy needs a, a rest. I think we need to start winning games, and you have so many good pieces. For all these years, you had a guy like Tyro Estrada who never really played, but every time he came up, he played a very a solid baseball game. And now you still have Jay Bruce playing at first base. Why not stick DJ LeMay with first base, stick Odor at second, and you keep Glaber and Gio at short and, set, at short and third? Why can't that be our everyday roster? I never want to see Jay Bruce hitting again for the New York Yankees. He has been atrocious so far, and I don't think he can handle the pressure. But I also think when it comes to the bullpen, I think we need to be smarter. I think we need to utilize Chad Green in – definitely more important situations. I feel like they use him on random days and the same with Chapman. I feel like save those guys for the big games that we need to wear up one run in the eighth inning. We need Chad Green to come in and shut it down and Chapman. I think that's really, those would be my two biggest moves that I think Aaron Boone should just make. I'm shocked you haven't said this one already because those are, are valid. And I do like LeMayu playing first and Odor playing second. I really like that pickup, actually. And, uh, and you know, Gio and, um, and uh, Torres at shortstop right now, unless they trade him for Trevor Story, which would be really, really nice, um, which I don't think is going to happen. The, my biggest one is I don't want to see Aaron Hicks hitting third ever again. Ever again. I'm tired of it. I don't understand the numbers, like the on-base percentage. He's not a good hitter, okay? He's not a good hitter. He shouldn't be hitting in the three spot. I don't care about the breaking up the righties. You know what? It's an imbalanced roster anyway, okay? At least put your three best hitters up there in a row, okay? That's DJ LeVayu. It's Aaron Judge. And if you want to pick, you want to pick Glaber Torres, fine. You want to pick Gio Urshela? Fine. You want to pick anybody? Fine. Just no more Aaron Hicks hitting third. That's my biggest issue. I don't want Aaron Hicks playing every single day. All right? I'd rather see 
And I, I'm not a huge Brett Gardner fan, but I'd rather see Brett Gardner get some reps in center field and have Clint Frazier play more than left. I, I, I just don't want to see Aaron Hicks hitting third anymore. I, like enough is enough. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think Aaron Hicks has been horrible since 2017. I mean, he's better on the right side, and we've seen it so far this year, but they continuously put him at the three-hole on the left side where he cannot hit anything that's not a fastball on the inside corner. So it has been horrible watching him hit in the third spot. And also, let's say you get Judge and LeMayu on base. Now you have Aaron Hicks, who strikes out 90% of the time, hitting. And if he gets a walk, all right, he gets a walk. You can have him walk in the seven hole. No one walks in the three hole. That is the home run hitter. That's the guy that's going to clear the bases every time he gets up. And that is not Aaron Hicks. It, it drives me crazy. His performance on Sunday was atrocious. Downright atrocious. And I know he's a good defensive center fielder with an arm. That doesn't mean he needs to hit third. It's so nuts. It's so crazy. All right. So I mentioned it before that the Yankees are kind of like the Dodgers of the AL, that, you know, knocking on the door, but haven't broken through, right? There seems to be a swell that if they don't break through, that something needs to change in the offseason. What do you think those changes are going to be? Is it going to be Aaron Boone? Is it going to be, is it going to be Cashman finally getting the boot? Is it going to be players traded? I know Aaron Judge is up for a big contract. Are they going to give it to him? What do you see the changes to be made if, if this team doesn't break through and get to a World Series? So I think the most important thing is the culture in the clubhouse. And I know they say it's a very in, you know welcoming place for young players and blah, blah, blah. But I think something that needs to change is this, we're the Yankees, we're the best, we are the greatest. I think that has to stop because you know what? You're not. You're really not. You let the Tampa Bay Rays, who have a quarter of your salary, beat you. So you can't go around thinking you're the best and whatever if you can't win. And also, I would love to see Aaron Judge get a small contract for a year or two because I don't think he deserves these massive contracts. He has had one year where he stayed on the field. He was healthy. He was great. But other than that, if he can't stay on the field, I don't know how the Yankees could possibly pay this man. And I know he's going to be the next captain because they're going to keep signing him. But I don't think he deserves the big contract. And I also think with Aaron Boone, he's a puppet. So no matter who they put in, it's just going to be another puppet getting pulled by Cashman's strings. So I really just think it's... And the analytics department. Let's not forget Yes, They they need to go. They need to go. Awful. Awful. Those are the people who are telling me that Aaron Hicks should be the number three hitter in the Yankee line. So go, go fuck yourself analytics because you clearly have no pulse on, on the sport. Anyway. Yeah, no, it it comes to a point where analytics can tell you a story, but watching baseball is a whole other story. When you see Aaron Hicks at the plate and he can't hit a changeup for his life, how could you put him in the three hole against pitchers that throw changeups? It makes no sense. He's the easiest out in the lineup. He really is. It's incredible. Why not put Gio Urshela in the three-hole? He's shown that he can hit the ball. But why not Luke Voigt? I know he's injured. But why not Torres? 
By the way, speaking of Tars, did you when they were down four three on Sunday? And this, uh, I know we've been a little negative on the Yankees so far, but Tars came up with a big hit, so we got to give him kudos to, uh, for his Sunday performance. Did you have any faith? And be honest, did you have any faith that he was going to get that hit? Because I had zero. I had a little bit of faith, and I, only because you know everyone says you when you're in a slump, you're due. And I honestly think this was the game that we look back at all these years where they've had slow starts, but then they just go on a crazy run. I thought that at bat was that the switch just turned on. And I think they're going to go on a run right now. I really do. And I think that hit really just motivated the team. And I think it woke them up like, all right, let's go. Season started. We got to start winning. But yeah, I was a little nervous watching him up at the play, especially the first couple pitches that kept going by. But he got a high fastball, two hands on the bat, poked it into left field. I just, my biggest fear with this team is it's it's a glass jaw team, right? And it's an empty calorie stats team that that they're kind of like to uh, to go cross sports reference for a second that they're kind of like the Clippers, right? When the when the Clippers have everything working, they just look awesome. And then when there's like a little bit of adversity, you know, they, they just look terrible. I mean, you saw it in the bubble last year. You saw it at certain points this year in the regular season. I just, I, I hate rooting for teams like that. You know, when I grew up, the Yankees were not that because Derek Jeter, you know, wouldn't let them be that. And they just had character dudes. So that's my biggest fear with, with this team. Uh, in terms of changes I see, I mean, I, I think – Aaron Boone will probably be the fall guy, and they're going to look to trade dudes. Yeah. Like, that's just good. That's just going to be it. They're going to look to trade guys. Now, with all that said, even as negative as we've been, and again, it would have been a lot worse had they blown that game on Sunday, and they, again, had every opportunity to blow that game on Sunday. All said and done, at the end of this year, where do you see the Yankees finishing in the pecking order, whether it's the AL East, whether it's the AL in the playoffs, what, what, what do you see? What does Andrew's crystal ball say? So I do think they'll finish the year and they're going to they're win the AL East and they're going to win it with like 98, 97 wins, something like that. Because I do think this team is not the same team that it was two, three years ago. I just don't think they have the same consistency, especially in the bullpen. But in the playoffs this year, I really think they do wake up and I think they make a run. I think they get to the World Series but I do think the Dodgers will repeat as World Series champions. They're just too good up and down that lineup, up and down that rotation. They are just – they're a perfect team. They really are. And if the Yankees want to make a run at it, I think they're going to need to make some big changes at the trade deadline in that bullpen. You think that's the big trade for them at the deadline? Is it bullpen-related? Yes, 100%. They have a lot, a lot of good young arms, and I can't say they don't. Michael King, Nick Nelson, these guys are great, but they have never pitched in high-stress situations. Right now, our high-stress pitchers are Chapman, who's very shaky, Chad Green, who's great, and Darren O'Day. Those are your three high-leverage relievers. That is not going to get you anywhere near a World Series. And I don't want to hear Zach Britton. He's washed up. He's not the same guy that we got a couple years back. So I think they need to make a big trade at the trade deadline for a you would, good you would rather that sure. You would rather that than a start. Rather that than, than what? 
than a starter than a starter. Oh, than a starter. Yeah, I think I would, because I, I think one of these guys or two of them of the 50, 50 guys will find their stride. And I think it's, and I think it'll work, you know, I think Jordan Montgomery pitching in the four hole or you have Herman there is really solid. If you think about it, if they're on and look, it's baseball, one good run and you win. So you never know. As a, a really bad uh, TV announcer that calls baseball games for our favorite team. Um, what's his name uh, on the radio? John Stone was like, that's baseball, Susan. So I can't stand him and Susan Waldman or Michael Kidd, whatever. That's a whole different story. My prediction is a lot like yours. I think they they end up becoming the class of the AL, and maybe it's just the arrogant New Yorker in me that that even though we just crapped all over them and said that they can't beat Tampa and that Tampa's better than them, I still think for some stupid reason that they're going to make a run and that they're going to end up making the World Series. But uh, it's hard to pick against the Dodgers right now, but it's also hard to repeat as champion because we haven't seen that in baseball in a long time. But I think they, I think at the very least, they'll get to the ALCS and, um, and, but I, I'm not sure that it's a title winning team is currently constructed, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hopefully we're going to, when we speak again, middle of the season, we'll be a little less negative. Uh, hopefully Garrett Cole takes care of business tonight. The Yankees can actually hit runners in scoring position to get them on. That'd be really nice. But anyway, Andrew, uh, it was good to uh, catch up again. Good to have you on the podcast. You did great the first time you did well this time. And this is a sign of maybe things to come for you, having uh, that you're about to be attending Syracuse, you know, sports management school. So uh, maybe I'm giving you your first internship, per se, being on this show. So you'll thank me later. <laughs> I will. Thank you, though. I really appreciate this. It's fun. I'll speak to you soon, buddy. Thanks so much. Yep. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. It wouldn't be a New York sports episode if I wasn't talking about my beloved New York Knicks. And I wanted to bring on a first-time guest, a special first-time guest, somebody who followed me on Twitter, must have said something insightful or funny that caught his eye. Then I checked out his Twitter feed, the Knicks Zone. Good Twitter feed, loves himself some New York Knicks, just like I do. So I had to bring him on, Mr. Patrick McCord. Patrick, what's good, buddy? Uh, Welcome to the program. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm thrilled to be here, man. It's uh, it's good. I mean, this, the sun's out in New York today. The Knicks are on a three-game winning streak after beating the Lakers last night. Uh, really can't complain. Really can't complain. I guess let's start there, right? So the Knicks are currently sitting 28 and 27. They're eighth place in the East. They had a really tough stretch, losing uh, five and six. A lot of them were close games. It was kind of brutal. One of them I actually had to watch and monitor on GameCast on a on a flight because it didn't have the game on. It was the game against the Celtics. Just absolutely brutal. I was like living and dying with crappy uh, plain Wi-Fi, trying to refresh GameCast every couple of minutes. That wasn't fun. But so they rebounded a little bit, but they've won three in a row. So where are you at with the Knicks right now? How you feel? What are your thoughts? Um, I think they're in a good spot right now. I mean, if you remember before the All-Star break, they were rolling. I think uh, the five-game Five out of six game losing streak there. Stretch um, had a lot to do with missing D Rose. D Rose before the All-Star break, when we got him, we were in. The chemistry was there. We were rolling. And to get him back from COVID was big. And I, for right now, we're at a good spot. And they need to keep things rolling. I think that's very important. Yeah, so obviously they're trying to avoid the play-in tournament if they can. They're going to have to get up to six. I mean, I think they're like, what, two games out? 
So it's not like an insurmountable uh, amount of uh, games that they're behind in the standings. But you mentioned Derrick Rose, and I guess we'll get we'll just jump right there now. I mean, it, it was very evident that. I mean, I'm not an Alfred Payton guy. I can't stand it. I know he played well last night, but I, I just there's no juice when he plays. I, I don't get Tibbs's fascination with Alfred Payton. But they definitely, you saw in a lot of those close games, they needed some type of creator, right? Some type of guy who's just going to add a little bit of juice to the offense. And without Derrick Rose, they, they really didn't have that. They were doing a lot of Alec Burks, a lot of Alec Burks minutes at the point, which is, uh, I, I have a soft spot for Alec Burks, but that's not really where you want to be. Uh, I also think it had a lot to do with the schedule. I mean, coming out of the All-Star break, they had an absolutely brutal schedule in terms of strength of schedule. Now they, they have some home games again. They have some winnable games. Uh, by the way, thanks to the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, our, our hated rival Brooklyn Nets, for softening up the Lakers a little bit, giving the Lakers a little bit of false uh, confidence, considering without Davis and LeBron, they're pretty garbage. So, we, so thanks, for, uh, thanks to Brooklyn for losing to the Lakers so the Knicks could beat up on him a couple of nights later. But yeah, I think um, hopefully that the close games are going to even out. I mean, it, it's like that throughout the course of a year. Sometimes you're going to go through a stretch where you're going to lose a bunch of close games. Sometimes you're going to win a bunch of close games and you'd like to think that it's even out. So I, I, I do think they're in a little bit of a good phase right now, but like they can't let up. I mean, you, you got to take care of business against the Pelicans. Uh, and you just got to, you know, you got to win the games that you're supposed to win. And then uh, we'll see how the chips fall. Um, so I, I'm assuming given their schedule and I'm going to pull it up in real time. But I, I, as I mentioned before, just now, I should say. The schedule lightens up a little bit. So do you expect them to go on a bit of a run right now? Like, like where, where are you at with, with that right now? Or do you think they're going to stay kind of status quo hovering around 500? Uh, I do think they're going to go on a little bit of run here. And I think it's important they do because after we get out of April, May, we hit this big road trip where they're at Houston, at Memphis, at Denver, at Phoenix, at the Clippers, and at the Lakers, which is going to be very tough. And then top that off, we end the season with the Hornets and Celtics, which are two teams that are ahead of us. So I do think it's very important to go on a mini run here. And um, Yeah, they're going to have to take care of business against Charlotte, Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago. I mean – uh, you, you hope you can get the other one with Memphis, even though, but if you split with Memphis, it's not the worst. Uh, it's just, you know, they, and you don't know what the Lakers are going to look like right now um, with uh, LeBron and Davis. I mean, you're assuming that Davis may be back by then, but who knows? I mean, you just, you, you gotta, gotta kind of hover around 500 here. And then I think they'll be in, they'll be in pretty, pretty good shape. You would think, no? Yeah, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. I mean, so one of the um, – oh, sorry, go ahead. You were saying. I mean, with the Lakers, I think we're going to be facing a healthy Lakers team around that time of the year because um, Denver, the Suns, the Clippers, and Lakers, they'll all be battling for positioning in the West. So I think they're going to be very, very tough games for us. Well, Denver just got that, that tough, tough news from last night into today that Jamal Murray tore his ACL. So that – that's a really tough break for them, considering I really thought that they were going to challenge for the Western Conference uh, crown. I mean, I, I was super, super high on them before that injury. But uh, be that as it may, uh, one of the big things during that tough stretch the Knicks had was five of six was Julius Randle, 
right? Julius Randle has been a little bit of a lightning rod for me personally. Uh, I'll get your thoughts in a second, but he had a, he had a big game shooting the ball against the Lakers, but overall, you know, the last couple of games, he's had a really, really rough stretch shooting the ball. And we've seen some 2020 Julius Randle moments, a lot of dribbling into double teams, a lot of over dribbling, a lot of turnovers, which is something that I, I really have not enjoyed. So how nervous are you about Julius Randle? And, and where were you? I, I should preface that but by where were you at with Julius Randle before this year? Obviously, this year he's been a monster. But do you still have your guard up about Julius Randle? Well, before this season, if you, if you look on my Twitter, I was all for getting rid of Randle. And um, he's definitely changed my mind about that. And it's to the point where I'm not too nervous about Randle because he's been – pretty great for us all year long I know these uh random moments where he had in 2020 I mean we don't like him but I think he's going to shake them and last night I think showed that he could shake them because he had a terrific game against the Lakers but we definitely need him to shake these moments he's done a great job at not forcing things this year uh he's been he's becoming like a seasoned vet kind of he's been in the league for what six years now and things are starting to slow down for him. So I'm not too worried about him. I think he'll just be fine. I, I'm hoping that it's just a shooting slump. So, I mean, I, I'm super vocal about I was pretty anti-Julius Randle. I mean, I didn't – there weren't a lot of players that I hated watching personally in my tenure as a basketball fan and as a Knicks fan than Julius Randle last year. I guess it's because Marcus Morris was number one on that list. And uh, once he was gone, maybe this – the, uh, the stink of uh, Marcus Marsh went away from Julius Randle. I just, I always have my guard up with him. And my, my biggest fear with Randle is we're getting uh, Patrick Siakam 2.0. Uh, I shouldn't pa- pa- Patrick Siakam, Pascal Siakam 2.0, right? Where Siakam started out super hot last year. I mean, he looked like a top 15 player in the NBA last year. Then, you know, things slow down. We have the break for COVID. We get back to the bubble and Siakam was was very bad and he hasn't been good this year. And that's my, my biggest fear with Randall that I, I still can't shake the um, that notion that that's what's due to happen uh, with Randall in the Knicks. And I know he's got a contract coming up. I know he has a, has a team option for next year, which the Knicks are for sure going to pick up. So I guess they have a little bit of leverage there, but it's just, it's just something I can't seem to shake. As much as I want to give my full heart to Julius Randle, I just, yeah. I, I can't do it. I still have my guard up. However, one guy I do have, I don't have a, as much of a problem giving my full heart to is RJ Barrett. So this is kind of like the flip side, right? Barrett had a rough game last night against the Lakers. But other than that, he's basically kept the Knicks in these games and has played sensational basketball up until last night, especially shooting the ball. What are your thoughts on RJ um, coming into this year? Where are you at with him now? What do you think his long-term ceiling can be? Just give me uh, your RJ Barrett thoughts. Uh, coming into this year, I was I was thinking this year is going to be very important for RJ. He's going to be taking a bigger role. And last night's rough game, they'll come and go with young players like RJ. But RJ has shown a ton of improvements this year with his shooting, defense, and even playmaking. The way he's able to work off the ball on offense is amazing. Cutting, getting people open. Um, it's only year two, and he's becoming this good. I mean, over the last eight games, he's averaging 20-plus points. Long-term, I think he could become an all-star in this league, and I truly believe that. And 
ever since that Minnesota game where he missed the game-winning shot and um, Anthony Edwards has a little something to say after the game, seems like he's been hitting every clutch shot ever since then. Yep. And I think that shows a lot about him. He's, he likes that spot. He likes the spotlight. And he also likes when people challenge him, right? And when, yeah. when he takes a little bit of criticism, he responds to it. Whether it was Nick fans last year, and, and I was one of them, obviously. I, I, I'm on record as saying that the Knicks not getting one of the first two picks last in um, two years ago's lottery would, that would have resulted in either Zion or John Rant was one of the franchise-altering moments in, um, in modern Knicks history. I, I still believe that. And... Um, you know, but R.J. Barrett has been a really, really nice consolation prize. And I, I was I was a little bit of a skeptic based on last year. I didn't like I didn't like the shooting form. I didn't like some of the shot selections, but a lot of that has been cleaned up. The form looks better. Uh, I like the fact that he just he competes. He's just he's just a worker. He he busts his tail, you know, every night. And and this year more so than then last year, even in nights like last night where he doesn't have it going shooting the ball, like it's just, it's not a force. It doesn't seem like he's just putting his head down and going left as much this year as he did last year. And I, I do think he can be a one to two time all-star in this league, you know, as, as a, as a baseline. Um, and it's been really fun to watch. It's been really fun to watch him wanting the ball in, you know, the last moments of games. I actually kind of wish they would give him the ball Ball more in those moments instead of just uh, thinking that Randall's going to carry it all the time. I kind of want to see RJ initiate some of the late game possessions. I, I know in the game against uh, it was Toronto where Alec Burks had to clean some stuff up after that disastrous third quarter. As much as Alec Burks has been fine for them, I I'd rather see Barrett do that for the long-term development of Barrett and the Knicks team. But Overall, I've been super, super pleased with what I've seen from Barrett, and um, I, I just hope it continues. And I know. So, um, oh yeah, go ahead. I know some people were saying last year, um, a big thing with RJ, how he struggled a little bit last year, was because the lanes were clogged with Julius. I think um, a little bit of RJ's success this year has came along with Julius developing a jump shot. I think it opened a lot of things, opened yep. the driving lanes up at least for RJ. And they have better, they have more capable shooters out on the perimeter. Like when he plays minutes with Quickly, who's been a revelation for the Knicks. You know, Quickly's a good three point shooter. It makes a huge difference, right? Um, Reggie Bullock, as limited as he is, he's a good catch and shoot three point shooter. You know, and, and Randall's three point shooting has been largely pretty good this year. So it, it makes a huge, huge difference. And in last year, when he was sharing the floor with Marcus Morris, who's yeah, he can make threes, but it, he's not a shooter. Uh, Randall wasn't the shooter he was this year. And, you know, the, the Knicks, it's been the least kept secret in the league that the Knicks point guard situation um, is, is largely a disaster. They didn't get any shooting from there last year. I mean, this year it's a little bit better with, with Quickly and Rose. But, yeah, and, and he's just smarter now. You know, he's got a year under his belt, and it, and it matters. All that stuff matters. Sure. So what's um what before we get into the Knicks' biggest concern, right? Going forward, uh, a couple of guys I want to give some shine to. Uh, that's Taj Gibson and Nerlens Noel. Uh, I was super skeptical when 
Tibbs brought in one of his guys, Taj Gibson, who seems like he's 85 years old. Uh, I thought like, you know, this is when Mitchell Robinson was healthy and we're just like, I, I can't have Taj Gibson for the long-term viability of the franchise taking minutes away from Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson has then gotten hurt and Taj Gibson has been awesome for the Knicks. He's been everything you, you could have dreamed of and, and more like tenfold more. Just give me your thoughts on Taj Gibson and, and what he's meant to this team. I was the same way as you were with it. When they brought him, I was thinking why, but um, having a veteran presence like him, on and off the court now and stepping up big in Mitch's absence, he's been amazing for us on both ends of the ball. He's catching lobs, finishing them. I think it's been huge the way he's been playing for us, huge. And Noel, same thing with him. He came in um, backup center, which I think he was being, he was playing pretty good basketball before Mitch went out, but him stepping up in the starting role has been, he's been phenomenal. He's been the rim protector we needed and we were missing with Mitch and he filled that void very well. And that was my whole thing with, uh, with the Knicks and Andre Drummond. And I never understood the fascination with Drummond. And, and I know Drummond shouldn't have just been bought out and just gotten for free off the scrap heap for the Lakers. I, I think that's a little ridiculous, but for the Knicks, he wanted to see what Robinson is. And, and Nerlens was for what the Knicks are and what the Knicks have was just as good as Drummond, right? Because unless you have Embiid or Jokic, uh, and, and I guess if you want to classify Anthony Davis as playing the five sometimes, you know, the centers become a utility position. Like you don't need a guy like what Andre Drummond does. I mean, you can very easily get by with what Nerlens Noel is doing, especially with the way Randall's played and his usage and, and what RJ's doing. So I, I just never understood the fascination. And Nerlens Noel has been a, a breath of fresh air. And, and he's really he's really an incredible, incredible shot blocker. Oh, yeah. And his timing is, is fantastic. And, and he doesn't pick up dumb fouls when going to block shots, which is something that I think is exceedingly impressive. And I, I hope they keep him around because he's been – He's been everything the Knicks needed and more. So before I wanted to get a little on the um, on the negative side or on the pessimistic side, because there's really a, not a whole lot to be negative with this Knicks team, considering they're over under before the year started was 22 and a half. And now that they're basically in the mix to be a playoff team. I mean, this is all gravy to begin with, but it just big shout out to uh, Taj Gibson and, uh, Nerland's Noel for giving good minutes. Okay, so I, having said that, you know, there, all of us Knicks fans were a little scarred. We, we're, we've been beaten down, so obviously we still have concerns for the team going forward. What's your biggest concern for them right now with uh, the next stretch of games coming up for the I playoff have, push? I actually have two of them. Um, the big one for me is Tibbs' rotations. He's been great as a coach all year long. He turned the Knicks around. But in some of these games, some of the close games, the rotations have costed us the game. I mean, what what, what kind of rotation specifically? I'm saying, um, give me an instance. For an instance, there was a three game, uh, three game streak where quickly was lighting it up from the field. He was having phenomenal games where he was playing 25 plus minutes. Then we came into a game with, I believe, it was the Heat, the Miami Heat, and quickly played 12 minutes. It just didn't make sense. 
some of his rotations don't make sense, and I think they cost us. Um, I think he needs to give a little bit of the playing time from Peyton up to quickly. Peyton's been yep. Peyton's been decent this year. I mean, I feel like when it feels like the Knicks are ready to give up on him and move on to quickly, he has a game like he did last night where it's like, well, I don't know about that. Um, but he, I think Tibbs needs to find and stick with a rotation before it gets to the playoffs because I do believe we'll be playing in the playoffs. And quickly, you'll be an important part of that. I, as I mentioned before, I don't get the Alfred Payton thing. I just don't get it. I know Tibbs doesn't like to play rookies. Like, that's part of the Tibbs brand. And quickly has played a lot more as a rookie than most other rookies play under Tibbs. But there's just a juice when he's in there, right, that the team has that it doesn't have when Alfred Payton's in there. And I know – and you're 100% right when you said that every, like, fifth game where it's like Payton's going to be, you know, sent to the scrap heap, he has a big game where it's kind of just like, can we just send him to the scrap heap a little bit anyway? Like, I I just don't – I just don't get it. But kudos to him because he played really well last night. But, yeah, the the quickly yo-yoing minutes, I I don't understand. I'm with you. Tibbs is really in love with Peyton because of his defense. I know Tibbs is a big defensive guy, and I'll give it to Peyton. That's one thing he does do great is play defense, but he could do that off the bench. <laughs> but does he really play that great of defense, though? Like, if you notice a lot of these games, like Reggie Bullock is guarding the team's point guards. Like, if that's going to be the case, and I didn't, I never really thought of Reggie Bullock as a defensive stopper, especially on the perimeter, then, like, then what are we doing with Peyton? Yeah, I think it's time to move on from Peyton. I, I, and I've noticed that, too. I mean, earlier in the year, Peyton was guarding the better guys, but I have noticed Reggie's been stepping up and doing that. Like, against the Nets, Reggie was guarding Kyrie, which is a tough guy to guard. But uh, Yeah, yeah. As much as I can't stand Kyrie Irving and everything that is Kyrie Irving, he is a pretty tough guy to guard. Uh, I, I just – I don't mind Peyton as spot minutes, uh, but I don't want Alfred Peyton playing – 27 minutes a night. I, I think if you disperse those those um, those minutes among rows and quickly with the starters and weaving them in and out, I, I think we're better off. So that was that was uh, your first big concern. What's your second big concern? My second one's offensive consistency, which is my biggest concern. Um, games where we struggle shooting the ball, we tend to lose, and that's and you see some teams in the NBA get away with games where they shoot the ball bad and they sneak out with a win. We can't do that because we're the worst team in the league at getting out on the fast break and getting easy buckets. So without us getting the easy buckets and struggling, shooting the ball, it's tough to win games. So offensive consistency is important. And another thing is with RJ scoring single digits, we we can't have games like that down the stretch here. In big games, we're going to need RJ to be that second guy getting yep. double digits. Because, I mean, if you think, think to uh, – the three Miami games now, I guess. RJ scored single digits in all three of those, and we lost by two twice and four once. If he's scoring double digits, we might be able to steal those three games. Yeah, no, I, you know, RJ's going to have to, for, for the team that, the way it's currently constituted, I mean, it's really not that much talented of a team, right? They're playing above their heads, and RJ's a big part of it. And he's been awesome this year. You mentioned about transition baskets. So what kind of lineups do you want to see to 
get the Knicks out and transition more? Is that more quickly? Is it more Rose? I mean, is there a solution on the roster right now? I mean, Rose isn't the transition player he used to be. So what would you suggest in terms of trying to generate those transition baskets? I think they uh, need to pair up the young guys a little bit more. Quickly Toppin and RJ, I mean, we saw that a few times throughout the year, and, and it seems like it's showtime when they're out there. I mean, Toppin, Toppin does well when he's paired up with Quickly and Rose out on the floor. So, I mean, if you put the lineup together with Rose, Quickly, Barrett, Toppin, and Noel, I think you could get going a little bit. The thing with Toppin, and I'm glad you brought him up, because the thing with Toppin is – is he plays the exact same position as Randall, right? And Randall's been the best player on the team. So there really aren't that many minutes for Toppin, right? Because they can't play together because it's going to be a disaster defensively. Uh, I know Toppin and Taj Gibson are about the same, uh, are about the same size, but Taj Gibson is a fantastic team defender and a fantastic positional defender. So it's just like, this year, I mean, they kind of drafted Rand, uh, Toppin to basically succeed Randall if they weren't confident about Randall. But now Randall has turned into what he turned into. You're kind of going to lose those Toppin minutes, or I should say Toppin was going to lose those minutes because you're trying to win games, right? Tibbs is very, you know, open of trying to win games. So, but the, the quickly rose RJ pairing would be interesting in terms of getting out in transition. But honestly, I'm not really sure there's a great, there's any great solution on the roster in terms of trying to get, you know, fast break points, because I don't think quickly is that kind of point guard. Rose is not that kind of point guard anymore. Maybe it's just like they need something um, in the off season. Uh, I, I think somebody like Lonzo ball would help in that respect in terms of generating transition points, because, you know, not just, he can't just, I should say he doesn't just advance the ball with the dribble. He also does it with the pass, but we'll see. I'm not 100% sure where the transition game comes within the roster right now, the way it's currently constructed. Yeah. But my, my biggest thing is, is you know, kind of like it, it all blends together as the guard play. Like a Knights that quickly doesn't have it. Again, he's a rookie up and down. You know, are we really going to be doing the Alec Burks thing? You know, with him initiating offense because – I don't think that that's a formula for long-term success. And I, the, the guard play, um, the lead guard play makes me a little bit nervous. If quickly is not going to have it and, and Rose, you know, Rose is what he is right now. I mean, where's that, where's that creation, that shot creation coming from? And I'd like to see Barrett take more of that, um, more of the, the mantle there and, and a little bit more of the heavy lifting there because you can't, put it all on Randall late in games. You can't put it all on Randall throughout the game in terms of initiating offense. Yeah. All right. So covered a little bit here now. Um, yeah, go ahead. I, I like what you said. Um, going back a little bit to Lonzo ball. I'm glad the Knicks didn't make a move for him at the trade deadline as much as it would have been great to have him for the rest of this year. I think we're going to have mm -hmm. a great shot at him in free agency. So I'm glad we didn't give up any young pieces to, just add him for the end of this year. I think we're going to have a good run at him in free agency. So what young – okay, so so you say that, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but what young pieces were you, um, were you not willing to give up? Because – and again, 
New Orleans is not that far out of a playoff spot now. So it's like they they may still be making a push. I know they traded J.J. Redick, but that notwithstanding, they're making a push for, for that playing game in the West. So, like, if you were really, really, you know, bullish on Lonzo, where was the, um, you know, who are the pieces that you weren't willing to give up to see if you can get him in free agency? Because restricted free agency is always tough. Yeah, well, I was seeing a lot, um, a lot of packages that people had on Twitter, and one that kept coming up was Toppin, Knox, and the Dallas Mavericks first-round pick. And I like Lonzo a lot, but I th- Toppin, I think it's too early to give up on Toppin yet. And um, I think we hang on to him a little bit longer. And giving up a first-round pick, too, I don't like that idea. We earned that first-round pick in a trade that I think we won, by the way. <laughs> But um, I think we're we're gonna have a good shot at Lonzo in the free, free agents free agency. So I don't think giving up Toppin would have been worth it. Knox, I think we could have moved on from Knox because he's out of the rotation. He doesn't play. Yeah. Of course you move on from Knox. He doesn't play. <laughs> yeah. So now nah, I think we'll have a good shot at him in free agency though. I'm pretty convinced, but I'm not getting my hopes up. I was gonna say if that trade was offered. And the Pelicans were willing to do that trade, and the oh, Knicks didn't do it. I'd be furious. I, w- I had myself furious. prepared. I had myself prepared for that. I was, I was all for it. I, if you look at my Twitter, I tweeted it. I was like, "What would? What do you guys think? Would you guys do this?" Because I, I would have done it, but like, I don't like the fact that we would have been giving up on Toppin. But in a heartbeat, I would have yeah. done it in a heartbeat. <laughs> you, you, you couldn't have pulled the trigger fast enough. Couldn't pull the yeah. trigger fast enough. You're getting you're getting a quality, you know, point guard who you know also has size that you can play with quickly and and, and do that in certain lineups. You know, he's shot the ball great from three. Now, if you're a little skeptic on the Lonzo shooting, I understand that, but you got to give up something to get something. Yeah, true. And it would have been I would have done that in a millisecond. And if the Knicks pulled that trade off the table and they pulled it off the table like that's shameful because you never know what's going to happen in free in restricted free agency because they're going to match because new orleans can easily match now new orleans has you know cap issues and we'll see what that looks like but i feel like in all these scenarios if you have a guy you really like like go get him all right go get him and and don't worry about or, or don't bank on free agency. Just go get the guy. With the trade deadline too, with that Lonzo trade, I when there was a lot of rumors going around, I was I was praying that they would send Peyton in one of the trades because um I know the But who wants really, him? He's a five million dollar expiring. Who wants him? He has no market. I was I saw um early in the deadline rumors that there was one team that was interested in him and it was the Clippers, but he, saw what the Clippers did. They went and added Rondo. So I'd much rather Rondo also. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather Rondo too, because uh, at least playoff Rondo is going to show up. And by the way, shout out to Rajon Rondo. No one played this season more perfectly for a guy who knew he wasn't going to get paid by the Lakers, right? Goes to Atlanta, gets paid, doesn't play for them, sits out a whole bunch of games, knowing he's going to get traded and gets traded to a contender. And then all of a sudden you're going to see from the playoffs, playoff Rondo. I mean, unbelievable the way he snaked that one. Just ridiculous. All right. So all said and done. Um, 
do the Knicks finish top six or are they destined for the play-in game? What are your what does your crystal ball tell you? Uh, my crystal ball tells me I think they finished right at the sixth seed and missed the playing games, which I said earlier. They they're dangerous. I, I think it's very important for them to stay out of the playing games. I think uh the the Hornets and the Hawks are two teams that are ahead of them right now, but I think they will both end up at the seven and eight seeds. The Hornets might even fall out of the top eight because them missing LaMelo it's going to hurt them, I think, in these final 17 games. But I think the Celtics and the Heat will slide into the fourth and fifth and will be the sixth. And we'll either play against maybe the Bucks or the Sixers in the first round. I'm rather, oh, I'd rather the Sixers. You'd rather the Sixers. Interesting. Why would you rather the Sixers? I think we played them really tough. I, that one game early in the year when we played the Bucks, we blew them out when they had Giannis. But the other one when we played right after the All-Star break, we got blown out of the water. I think we played a couple of tough games against the Sixers that we definitely could have pulled out. And I think if we played them in a seven-game series, I'm not saying we would win, but I'm saying it's at least going to six games. That's a tough one for me. I'm not sure who I'd rather play because, you know, and be healthy this year, the way he was playing was the MVP of the league. Um, I think Milwaukee, I think I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I have to give that one a little bit of thought. I gone to my head. I'd rather play. Maybe I'd rather play Philly, which is weird, but I don't think either matchup is particularly good for the Knicks. Um, but again, that doesn't matter because this season's gravy, right? Uh, I think, I don't know what the deal is with Atlanta, right? I've been an Atlanta skeptic all year. I don't understand. How, maybe they're just on a, extreme hot streak and playing bad teams and maybe that will even out so i i think the knicks but i think the knicks finished seventh and they're finishing the play-in game and then they um they get the first round matchup against uh i i think against you know what i'm gonna say the nets i'm gonna like, say the nets i like that. and and i i don't i don't know how I, I think Philly probably has more of a, a reason to really care about the regular season to push, uh, whether it's in Embiid's can, MVP candidacy or uh, just knowing that they play super well at home. Uh, I think the Nets are probably coasting on the on their laurels and um, and their talent. So I think we're going to get Knicks Nets first round, and I, I hate the Nets so much, but I, I I'm not sure I see the Knicks beating them. But it's going to be a uh, they'll fight. They'll, yeah, those games will sure. be absolute bloodbath. And if you beat up the Nets enough where they lose in the second round, I'm all for it. Which I think will happen. I, that Nobody at the top of the Eastern Conference wants to play the New York Knicks in the first round. Nobody wants to play against a team that plays defense for all 48 minutes like that. I don't think anybody wants that matchup. It's a bunch of fighters. It's a bunch yes, of sir. fighters. And, and that's why we love this team. All right, Patrick, this was great, man. Uh, now that you have been indoctrinated into the um, into the mix over here on the For the Love of the Game show, maybe we'll have you on a little bit if you haven't been too scarred by this experience. Uh, I hope not. You did great. You held up your end of the bargain, and uh, we'll speak soon. Let's uh, let's go, Knicks. Knicks tape is where it's at. Let's go. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll do it again sometime uh, when the um, when the playoffs come around. We'll check in. All right. Sounds good. I touched on it earlier in the monologue, the statistics for the New York Mets since 2018, 
when Jacob deGrom has started are astoundingly bad. It's embarrassing. It's an embarrassment to the sport as a whole. It's an embarrassment to New York sports. As I said, it's maybe the greatest wasted talent in the history of pro sports. And I had to have somebody on, a recurring guest, a special recurring guest, to just give him the floor to rant about it a little bit because he's earned that. Uh, it's none other than Yaakov Rosenberg, a.k.a. Sad Mets Dad, who is clearly very sad. So, Yaak, the floor is yours. Take it away. Perfect. You know, it's funny. I actually, my obviously, my wife, we were talking today, Monday. And Monday, like, afternoon is when Dave the Mailman comes by. And he says, and we're talking, he wears a Mets handkerchief, he's a Mets hat. He's the prototypical, you know, mailman. Got the radio going every day. And I don't know how long his route is, but I extend it by about 30 to 40 minutes every day. I of mean, there is nothing more enjoyable than having a sports, you know, a, a, a sports addict for a, Met, for a, for a, um, a delivery man. It's, it's very lucky. So she actually said, she's like, you know, you got to get Dave on with Tobin. <laughs> and then uh, no joke, like an hour later, I saw your message. I was like, of course, of course I got to come on. Well, next um, time we're we on the triangle, hold on. Next time uh, we're on the triangle, we'll get Dave. We'll get uh, you involved when the Mets do something that's worth being super sad about. Uh, we're going to have to make it happen. He is a but great anyway, personality. Yeah. So, but that's exactly what we're touching on, you know, the Mets and their identity, right? How many did you have DeGrom? How many pitches did you go the first game? Went six innings. 77 77 pitches i i couldn't even like look into why that was right like was it was it numbers was it situation it's almost immaterial you have arguably the greatest pitcher of our generation at 77 pitches and i don't unless he can't walk what are you taking him out for you want to start off the year right you know the juju that kind of goes with him coming out I get it. You've got some new guys, new relievers. You want to have a new trust. But, but six innings and 70-something pitches, it's just it's the same old Mets. You know? And then it gets me thinking, nothing's changed, right? You, you take new ownership. You say you're investing new money. But it's the same old Mets. You have the same manager, which is a discussion for a whole other topic. Uh, what you a know, wet it's a whole blanket. Nother... It, it, it's, what it's a just, wet blanket. Yeah, right? So here's the question. Was that an analytics-driven you know, driven decision? What analytics will tell you at his third round? He's the greatest pitcher of our generation. What analytics is there? You know, I just, the first game, none of it made sense. Is it feeling? Clearly, Roas has no feeling. So well, it's just so to, frustrating. What did he do to hit in that, in that later half of the inning? Was he, like, do up, and that's why they pulled him? I didn't watch I mean, the game. I give, just, me, give, me one, give me one second, and let me look at his hitting statistics this year, because I'm pretty sure they're better than uh, Conforto's. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but all right, let's see. Let me quickly check. This is important. I don't know if you can check. I don't know what it was, but I know the first he had, a, he had at least one hit the first game, if not two. So I don't, you know, he's a great, let me see one second, 2021. It's two for five, uh, three for five this year. <laughs> he's three for five. He's three for five. With any walks? No, unfortunately, no walks. I mean, he's three for five. What are you taking him out for? So, again, I didn't even look into, like, the – it just – none of it made sense. So, then here's the question, then. What's the identity of the Mets? I think this goes to a bigger point because if your identity is just letting it all ride and letting, you know – who would you bring in? Lindor. He hates analytics. 
he just is a field game. He's right. It's all about field to him. DeGrom also, it's just, if you're going to let that be um, what drives the team, then that's got to be it, right? It can't be management sitting up there and saying, well, after 76 pitches, you pull them out. You have to have an identity. Are you going to upset the team? You're going to upset everything. So what are they doing? If they're bringing in someone for analytics, you're, you just signed a, a, the, the guy, the greatest pitcher. Uh, what do you consider him? Like top 10 player? Um, top three shortstop, Lindor, but top 10. And he is probably the most it's, vocal. Uh, tough to say. 10, top 20, fine. All right. Regardless, you have six or he seven been, options. He would have been, the, he been the, yeah. uh, the best shortstop on the market in a stacked free agent class for shortstops this coming offseason. Agreed. My, agreed. I don't even think the contract's bad. My point is, is that he's vocally anti like using analytics to this extent. And yet all you're doing is shoving it in his face. He may not be able to go anywhere, but again, what is your identity? If you're all analytics, you're pissing off half the team. And why'd you bring in to be the face of a franchise, a guy that hates analytics. And if you're all feel, then you're doing something. There's nothing feels different. They should have got rid of Rojas. They should have just cut their losses with Familia. Like, what are they doing with Familia? Then it just keeps going. It's like, I, again, five minutes can turn into four hours. DeGrom is just a symptom uh, of, I mean, I don't know if a symptom. He's, a, he's, he's just emblematic of all the problems that they have. No, uh, it, but it's it, worse than that. As an outsider, it's worse than that. Because it's not like this Mets team is incapable of scoring runs. They can score runs. They just never score for him. It's insane. They are seven games under 500 since 2018 when DeGrom starts. In his but, starts, he has a two ERA over that span. So what do you so what do you do then? Where do you go from there? <laughs> I, mean, I can't I'm, even yeah. If I'm him, I demand a trade. Or so I take what, a or I take a bat and I smack familiar with it until he's dead. And I smack Edward Diaz with it. And if I'm Peter Alonzo, or if I'm Frankie Lindor, I get up after the game in front of the media and say, Jake deserves so much better than us. We stink. And if we don't score runs for the next game, I'm going to fight somebody. Like, do something. So that was Dave the Mailman. That's great. Now we can actually refer to a guy as Dave the Mailman. Um, his, that's his big thing. You're going to piss off the Groms. Maybe he doesn't pitch as well. You're going to alienate him. How much? He doesn't have a huge long-term contract. And then it's just, yeah, I don't know. You got to, you got to rustle up some feathers. You got to figure something out, but it makes no sense that they can't, they can't hit for the greatest hitter. I mean, the biggest pitcher. It makes, that's why I start going into the other reason, problems with the Mets. Cause if I focus on DeGrom, it's so like, <laughs> there's no, it doesn't make any sense. It's just the same old Mets. That's the only answer you have. The same old so Mets. How nervous are you that DeGrom is going to demand a trade? How nervous are you? I, he has to. I, you know, how do you, how does somebody just perform at such a high level? And no matter how much you're getting paid, you want to see results. Like these guys are trained to win. And when you're doing everything in your power and then some, and then some, and then some, and you're somehow have a losing record. <laughs> yeah. Eventually he's, it's he's like Pedro it's, Martinez level in like 99 to 2001. Like, this is all-time great stuff, and they are completely pissing it down the toilet. Right, right. So at some point, do you just accept, for whatever reason, we're never going to win with him? Let's just get the greatest haul ever we can return? You know, I don't 
It's the problem. There's no good answer. The good answer is them to just stop playing shitty when he's up, but it's just, it seems like that's, I mean, I don't know. There's some, there's something in the air that they just are never going to play well when he, when he pitches. New ownership was supposed to solve all the bad juju with the Mets. Right. And this is why I haven't changed my name. I've been asking for other suggestions and, and nothing fit because until proven otherwise, they are just a sad organization. So on, a, <laughs> so on a scale of one to ten, in terms of sadness, I know it's early in the season. How sad are you? I don't even feel anymore. There's no feeling. That's the problem. I can't even, you know, it's like when you become so numb to something that like, you know, it could be the worst disaster, but you're just so numb to it. It's like, I, I just, I'm just, I feel like I'm just watching a slow crash. It's, you know, you can't do anything about it. You know it's going to happen. There's a slight, it's a tiny chance you'll be able to get out of the hydroglide. Most likely, this truck is just going straight into another another wall. And that's just, you just got to sit back, watch. My daughter, I took her to her first game the, the last week uh, in Philly. And that was maybe the greatest, the greatest day of my life. Castro gave her a ball. And now he's now my favorite reliever. Has to be anyways, because the rest of them are terrible. Um, so that's it. I was going to say, you don't have a whole... I was going to say, you don't have a whole bunch of great relievers to choose from. Crazy. Cat, that game we went to, Castro almost blew it, and then Fami- and then Handel almost blew it, and then Familia almost blew it. it. It was, we're watching Diaz in the bullpen, because in, in Philly, it's great. You can just, you can watch them pitch and also watch the game. Um, and we're watching him get up, then watch Familia almost blow it. And his eyes, I mean, the determination is awesome in watching a guy throw 100 miles an hour. But you could see, he's like, Oh my God. I was just talking to this guy for two hours. I'm probably telling him the whole time, don't fuck this up. And yet he's about to fuck this up. We have a six run lead or something. And I'm going to have to come in because, you know, Stroman pitches really well. And then again, it's everyone. It's the Grom times 10. But when it comes to the bullpen, it's everyone, right? The hitting, I I can't explain. The point is, is they had a six run lead when it's not the Grom. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. The ground would, would pray. Scoring runs. I again, I'm 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 a Mets. You know, you like you say you're like I'm living for I'm living for someone else. At this point, I'm a Mets fan for my daughter. At this point, I'm just doing it for her. And then it's like, well, why even do it for her? I'm just setting her up for failure. At eight years old, she's already so pot committed that there's no way out. So now I'm in it. I'm in it with her. So That's what it comes destroyed- down to. So you, your your own life sucks as a baseball fan, and now you've already destroyed um, your daughter's life as a baseball fan. But hey, I'm a Knicks fan. I know what that's like. This I didn't choose Knicks life. Knicks life chose me. So amen, amen, brother. And how nice was that feeling last night when they're up, and then you get that terrible feeling of classic Knicks, and then it turns out how it turns out. So you know what? It's the one percent chance. It, oh, it was awful. Right. It was awful. But some, it was awful. I, sp- I spoke about it in the um in my Nick segment. It was it was terrible. I, I but, can't deal with these close games anymore. I, I can't. I, I'm not, they're gonna give me an ulcer. Yeah, but there's something comforting in uh in the in the in this. I don't know, it's comforting. And you know the Mets are gonna be terrible, but there's a comfort. You know the Knicks are just gonna lead you on long enough and then you know, God, you're such a mess. God, you're uh, such a masochist. If I'm, if I'm putting, if I'm putting the standards at a scale of one to ten, uh, the last part where you said that there's comfort, that's comfort. nine out of it's ten. A comfort. Well. And the only I mean, reason why it's not ten out of ten is because the season just started. 
Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That's just we'll, war. We'll, we'll get there. Well, now you get the now you get, you know, to look into the mind of uh, of a Mets, Knicks, and Jets fan. I mean, Rangers I I follow because you gotta follow someone in hockey and I love playoff hockey, but I mean, even them included, it's 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 a tough life. It's a tough life. Goodness gracious. Right. <laughs> but it's a beautiful I needed, life. I, <laughs> I needed this. I I, I needed this. I, I'm sorry for your misery. And by the way. As a Yankees fan, I am so mad for the Mets fans. Like I'm irrationally angry about. I don't, this. I don't want your. I don't, I don't know if, if it's pity. I don't want it. If it's anger, that's fine. But I don't no, want it's pity. not pity. It's it's you want to see greatness, right. sheer greatness, be you know utilized and, be, and on the greatest stage. Be be um be realized. Right. Be just. Just appreciated, and the fact that he's going to go two and nine with a one point six ERA when the Cy Young is so absurd. Absurd. But this is the life we chose, or I guess life we were. You know, I don't know. I got nothing. It's just sad. It's just sad. This, this I'll, is I'll end it. This <laughs> level sad. All right, you know, so. but, uh, well. I'm very. I'm, see, I enjoyed it though. This is great. I'm very sad now, but I'm comfort. I, I feel comfort in it, so I appreciate it. That's that's the grossest thing I've ever heard. All right, Cole. This is wonderful. <laughs> Thanks so much for hopping on, buddy. I'll speak you to got you. it. Have a good night, brother. Later. Bye. Thanks again to my three guests: Andrew Sender talking Yankees, Patrick McCord talking Knicks, and Yaakov Rosenberg, aka Sad Mets Dad, talking Mets. A jam. Packed episode, absolutely stacked. That's episode 110. For the love of the game, take us out, Dark Man X. Shout out to that done it. And it ain't even about the dough. It's about getting down for what you stand for, yo. For real. We gonna rock, do we gonna fall? Do we let it pop? No, let it go. Come on. X gon' give it to ya. He gon' give it to ya. X gon' give it to ya. He gon' give it to ya. First we gonna rock, do we gonna fall? Do we let it pop? No, let it go. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.